Now we are going to dive into Isaiah chapter 48. And I really hope by the time we get through this chapter, you will come to love it just as much as I do. So Isaiah 48 is quoted also in 1 Nephi 20. Uh, So we're going to be using the text from 1 Nephi chapter 20, uh, but it starts off with this, quote, Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel. So right here, right off the bat, who are we talking to? We're talking to Israel. And who is Israel? Well, that's us. And is it just some, you know, spiritual, philosophical thing? No, this is literal, temporal, speaking to the literal descendants of Abraham, which is us. It says, those who are called by the name of Israel and are come forth out of the waters of Judah or out of the waters of baptism. So this is key too. Are we just talking to any random Israelites out there or... No, we're talking to the Israelites who have the covenants, those who are being baptized and making those covenants with God. And who is that today? Well, that would be the Latter-day Saints and those joining the church, those who are coming to partake of those ordinances. So God is speaking in Isaiah 48 specifically to the members of the church in the last days. It says, those who swear by the name of the Lord and make mention of the God of Israel, yet they swear not in truth, nor in righteousness. Ouch. Okay, so right off the bat, uh, he's saying, all of you covenant, uh, Latter-day Saints, you Israelites in the last days, you guys are proclaiming the name of God but you're hypocrites. Um, Now, why would Isaiah be saying this to us? He says, they call themselves of the holy city, but they do not stay themselves upon the God of Israel. Okay, so this portion, this chapter is Isaiah speaking to Israel. And I should clarify that he's speaking to Israel in his day and Israel in our day, because it's a dual fulfillment thing. But Kind of like the Nephite church, you have members of the church he's speaking to who are making the covenants, but they're not living the covenants. So next, God, or and through Isaiah, is going to explain that he always tells Israel, even though Israel struggles and is apparently a little wicked, um, he always tells us what is going to happen before it actually does. And he's going to explain why. He says, I did it because I knew that thou art obstinate, and thy neck is as an iron sinew and thy brow brass. Now, if that lost you there, you have to remember, Isaiah is a very poetic speaker. Everything is about poetry and imagery. And and the reason for that is that symbolism is very powerful, and you can understand it at different levels. So wherever you're at and whatever you're ready for, God can teach you based on the imagery and the symbolism. So that's why Isaiah is such a poetic speaker. Um, But God here, he says, I'm going to tell you everything that's going to happen because you're really stubborn and you're obstinate. I have even from the beginning declared to thee before it came to pass, I showed them thee and I showed them for fear, lest thou should say mine idol hath done them. And my graven image and my molten image hath commanded them. Now you might be thinking, what? This doesn't make sense in our day. Which of us members of the church are bowing down to idols and worshiping graven images? 
Again, it's imagery, remember? So basically, the Lord is saying, I know that you're too often as a people, we we recognize our achievements and we see our blessings and successes, but we think that they're due to us. And, you know, oh, we're so amazing. You know, how did America as a nation become so great and prosperous? Well, it was our genius. It was our technological advances. It was our brilliancy in war. Um, Israel, historically and today, seems to have a problem too often of being smart, they're very talented and blessed of the Lord, but too often they're very arrogant about those blessings and that intelligence. And so the Lord says, I'm going to tell you everything I'm going to do beforehand so you can't say, oh, this was me that did it. You'll be without excuse. You'll know the Lord did this for you. He says, thou hast seen and heard all this, and will ye not declare them? And that I have showed thee new things from this time, even hidden things, Thou didst not know them. So he's saying, I'm going to tell you a lot of things that you don't know just by default. They are created now and not from the beginning, even before the day when thou heardest them not. They were declared unto thee, lest thou shouldst say, behold, I knew them. Right? So God is talking to us. He's saying, I have to tell you what's going to happen so that you don't attribute it to yourself. But It's not always negative. That's not the only reason that God prophesies and he tells Israel what's going to happen to her. Um, There is a segment of us Israelites that can be pretty stubborn and prideful, um, but the Lord also does it for the sake of the righteous. This is President George Albert Smith. He said, quote, I know of nothing of great importance that has happened in the world that the Lord through his prophets has not advised the people of beforehand so that they have not been left in ignorance of what was to develop, but could plan their lives, if they would, to their advantage, end quote. The Lord doesn't want us to be caught off guard. He doesn't want us to live not knowing what's going to happen. He wants us to be prepared. Now, the Lord is going to continue here in Isaiah. He says, quote, Yea, and thou heardst not. Yea, thou knewest not. Yea, from that time thine ear was not opened. Right? Sometimes the Lord speaks and we do not hear. He says, For I knew that thou wouldst deal very treacherously and was called a transgressor from the womb. Um, the Lord has had a very troubled history with the house of Israel. Very often they have been very disobedient and rebellious. You know, you want to talk about having troubled youth or uh, kid issues? Uh, you have nothing on God. Um, But the Lord says, nevertheless, for my name's sake, will I defer mine anger. He's saying, this is my family. These are my people. And so I will be patient for my praise. Will I refrain from thee that I cut thee not off for behold, I have refined thee. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction for mine own sake. Yea, for mine own sake, will I do this? For I will not suffer my name to be polluted, and I will not give my glory unto another. End quote. So God is essentially proclaiming here, he is going to keep those promises to Abraham. He is going to be patient. He is going to be long-suffering. He will not give up. He's going to keep those promises made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Enoch, Noah, Shem, Adam. It's this 
concept called the sealing of Elijah. And we don't have time to go into that today right now. But if you go to the Joseph Smith Foundation website, we've been organizing all of Joseph Smith's teachings by topic. And if you go to the calling and election topic or the sealing of Elijah topic, or ideally both, you will discover some fascinating teachings that Joseph Smith taught about fathers, uh, specifically the great patriarchs, who received promises of the Lord after sacrifice. They had their calling and election made sure they were saved while in this life and they received some promises for their children. And here in Isaiah, God is saying, I'm going to keep those promises. Those promises were sealed and I am going to keep them. And so he's been working on this a long time. In fact, before the history of the earth even started. Elder McConkie said, quote, Israel is an eternal people. She came into being as a chosen and separate congregation before the foundations of the earth were laid. She was a distinct and a peculiar people in preexistence, even as she is in this sphere, end quote. So God has been preparing for this and working on the house of Israel, even in the pre-mortal life. That's a lot of history that we don't have yet revealed to us as a people. Uh, but apparently these covenants extended long before we were born. Um, this just helps us understand better President Nelson's statement when he said, once we know who we are and the royal lineage of which we are a part, our actions and directions in life will be more appropriate to the inheritance, end quote, right? So as the Lord is saying in Isaiah, you guys are so stubborn and you're so rebellious as a people, but I am going to fulfill these promises. I'm going to keep working with you and we're going to come back together and be united as a family again. And when we realize this and we understand who we're supposed to be, who we were meant to be, our true identity, that is what calls us higher, calls us to be better. So Isaiah continues here in this chapter and he explains how God's going to do this um, because Jesus Christ is not personally walking on the earth. So how is he going to restore these covenants? And this is what he says. Hearken unto me, O Jacob, and Israel my called, for I am he. I am the first and I am also the last. Mine hand hath also laid the foundation of the earth, right? Here, Jesus Christ is proclaiming his authority. He's explaining, this is who I am. My right hand hath spanned the heavens. I call unto them and they stand up together. All ye, assemble yourselves and hear. So he's going to make an announcement here. He wants Israel to know about. He says, who among them hath declared these things unto them? So he's saying, there's someone who's been telling you these covenants, someone who has been telling and calling you to come back to me. This man, the Lord hath loved him. Yea, and he will fulfill his word. He's going to fulfill the words of the Lord, which the Lord has declared by them. He will do his pleasure on Babylon and his arm shall come upon the Chaldeans. That's more imagery. Don't have time to go into it right now. Um, you can study that on your own, but just continuing here with Isaiah, he says, uh, also say it, the Lord, I, the Lord, yea, I have spoken. I have called him to declare. I have brought him and he shall make his way prosperous. So Jesus Christ is essentially saying that to bring Israel back together, he is sending a man, a man that the Lord loves, a man that he has sent to declare a message. He says, 
come ye near unto me. I have not spoken in secret. This isn't going to be a secret. It's not going to be hidden. It's going to be very open for anyone to accept if they will. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I have sent him, the Lord thy God, who teacheth thee to profit, who leadeth thee by the way thou shouldst go, hath done it. So who is this man that Jesus Christ is talking about? Well, if you go to different Isaiah scholars or different experts, there is a term that has been applied to this man because he comes up a lot in the book of Isaiah. Um, He's often called the latter day servant. He's this man that's going to be sent in the last days that Isaiah talks about a lot, who is going to perform this marvelous work and a wonder. Well, who is he? There's actually a lot of debate about that. Um, So let's jump into that and let's talk about that for a minute. Who is this man? Now, this is a subject that has intrigued and mystified scholars for decades and even for most of the history of the earth. The question is, who is the Latter-day Servant? Is he coming in the future? Has he already come? Will he arise from outside the church authority and set an apostate leadership in order? Will his name even be David? And how are we going to discern between him and imposters? So these are all questions that have plagued students of scripture, and the answers have consequences. Thousands have abandoned the church, leading away many followers with them. Spiritual lives are destroyed, posterity is lost, and the adherents are left to stumble around in the dark. For many stumbling, it all started with incorrect assumptions about the Latter-day Servant. The implications of this question have eternal significance. The Latter-day Servant is a prophet foretold throughout the standard works. A 1LDS scholar suggested nearly 200 prophesied characteristics of the servant's mission. What is his mission? The Latter-day Servant is the witness of Jesus Christ. This is very important. He is not just a witness. He is the man who enters into the presence of God and issues forth with the message, the call, the command for the house of Israel. The servant's mission is not limited to the spiritual realm. He is the captain, he is the leader, he is the commander of the world temporally or physically as well. He is the one who distributes the inheritances in Zion. He has all political authority under the savior and the administration of the church is all under his supervision. Even the signs, the tribulations, the destructions preceding the second coming, all of this is overseen and directed by him. He is the Moses of the Latter-day Exodus. Ultimately, the salvation of perhaps every man and woman on this earth will be influenced by this man. So you can see his life and his mission, it parallels the life and mission of Jesus Christ. It's even likely that the sacrifices performed by ancient Israel prefigured this prophet. Who is this man? The writings and the research on this subject involve a very wide range of assumptions and opinions with no conclusive answers. Conclusions dot the map. Some believe this prophet to be John the Revelator, others an individual named David who is perhaps even a child at this time. So where should we turn? Well, Joseph Smith knew 
who the servant was, and at least some of his close friends, particularly Brigham Young, knew who the servant was, the ancient authors of Holy Writ knew as well. All of the testimony of the prophets and the scriptures tell of this Latter-day Servant. If we miss the servant, we will misinterpret a major theme of the standard works. If we miss the servant, the entire scope and sequence of our day could be, and to some degree has been, utterly lost. Well, in the Book of Mormon, again, the Book of Mormon just sheds so much light and clarity. Jesus Christ is speaking to the Nephites in Bountiful. And he talks about this servant, and he gives us some keys to identify him. He says, quote, For in that day, the last days, for my sake shall the Father work a work, which shall be a great and a marvelous work among them. And there shall be among them those who will not believe it, although a man shall declare it unto them. Right? This is what we've been talking about. A work is going to be done by Jesus Christ, and a man is going to come and declare it. Now, the key to this verse is the context. The context of 3 Nephi 21 is Jesus Christ prophesying about the Revolutionary War and the Constitution being set up in America. He talks about the Book of Mormon being translated. He talks about uh, the Gentiles, the Pilgrims, the Puritans being established as a free people in America. He talks about the restoration of the gospel. And the covenants, baptism, repentance, the true doctrine being restored. And in that context, at that time, there is this man that comes forward to declare the marvelous work and a wonder. Scripture agrees that the Latter-day Servant is inseparably connected to the marvelous work and the wonder. This witness, this servant, this prophet is the declarer of the marvelous work and a wonder. Now, the Savior spoke of the marvelous work that the Father would do to fulfill, quote, the covenant which he hath made unto the people who are of the house of Israel, end quote. This is our mission and our covenant as literal blood Israel. In 3 Nephi 21, verse 9, the Savior states, quote, For in that day, for my sake, shall the Father work a work, which shall be a great and a marvelous work among them. And there shall be among them those who will not believe it, although a man shall declare it unto them. Who is going to do this marvelous work? The Father. Yes, Christ has all power of the Father through divine investiture of authority, but ultimately this is the Father's work. This marvelous work of the Father, however, will be declared by a man, a messenger in the latter day. Well, if we go into Joseph Smith's patriarchal blessing that was given to him in 1834, we are going to find that Joseph Smith is identified as the man who would perform the marvelous work and a wonder. His blessing says, quote, Thou hast been called, even in thy youth, to the great work of the Lord, to do a work in this generation which no man would do as thyself, in all things according to the will of the Lord. A marvelous work and a wonder has the Lord wrought by thy hand, even that 
which shall prepare the way for the remnants of his people to come in among the Gentiles with their fullness as the tribes of Israel are restored, end quote. Isn't that a beautiful blessing? So basically, what is the Lord saying? He's saying, Joseph Smith, you are the man called and no one can do this work as good as you. Um, you are the one called to do the marvelous work and wonder, the marvelous work and wonder prophesied by Isaiah and the Book of Mormon prophets and the Old Testament prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah. You are going to do this work. And this work is what is going to restore Israel. So Joseph Smith is the man doing the marvelous work and a wonder. Moroni actually also prophesies of this to Joseph Smith when he comes to visit Joseph Smith in 1823. Uh, when Moroni came to Joseph Smith, he told him, the Lord has therefore chosen you as an instrument in his hand to bring to light that which shall perform his act, his strange act, and bring to pass a marvelous work and a wonder. The Doctrine and Covenants, section 4, as well as other scriptures, and the prophets have taught that the marvelous work and a wonder is the restoration of the gospel. Uh, Christ continues in 3 Nephi by identifying the declare of the marvelous work and a wonder as the Latter-day Servant. Quote, But behold, the life of my servant shall be in my hand, therefore they shall not hurt him although he shall be marred because of them. Yet I will heal him, for I shall show unto them that my wisdom is greater than the cunning of the devil." End quote. How do we know that the servant spoken of in this passage is the Latter-day Servant? This verse contains word links with passages in Isaiah discussing the Latter-day Servant. Now, what is meant when we use the phrase word link? Studying scripture through word links involves studying the context and the message of a passage by connecting a word or phrase with other passages where that word or phrase is used. For example, in 3 Nephi, the Lord refers to his servant as being marred. That same term marred is used in the book of Isaiah in reference to the Latter-day Servant. In 3 Nephi, we learn that the wicked, quote, shall not hurt him, although he shall be marred because of them, end quote. Isaiah speaks of the servant being marred more than any man, but because the servant deals prudently, he is extolled and exalted. By linking the two passages together, we get a more accurate context, a more accurate interpretation of the passage. The context in 3 Nephi is critical in correctly interpreting this passage, so let's put the phrase in context. The Lord is speaking of establishing the Gentiles as a free people in America. In other words, this is the colonization of the pilgrims, the Puritans, the Covenanters, as well as others. This is the establishment of the United States Constitution. Christ promises the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, this great sign that will be given to the Gentiles in America and begin Israel's gathering after her long dispersion, or in other words, the beginning of Latter-day missionary work. The Book of Mormon will be given to the Nephite remnant. The Lord speaks of the Lamanites and the Gentiles coming to a knowledge of the true doctrine, or we would say the organization of the true church with new scripture 
once again in the latter days. Zion will then be established. We are clearly speaking of the latter-day signs of the times. This is the context of the marvelous work and wonder and the servant, the servant who is marred, the servant who brings forth this new covenant, this marvel and wonder. According to numerous prophetic statements and just a touch of common sense, the marvelous work and wonder is the restoration. Who is the man who brought forth and continues to oversee the restoration? This man is no other than the prophet Joseph Smith. Summing this up, the Lord Jesus Christ declares the Latter-day Servant to be the prophet Joseph Smith. Now you may be asking yourself, what's the big deal here? Why is this so earth-shattering? Understanding this passage has serious implications, implications that have been too long overlooked. So from the words of the Lord himself, it is very clear that Joseph Smith is the servant to perform the marvelous work and a wonder. And if we go into Isaiah, Isaiah's servant is the man who will perform the marvelous work and a wonder. So therefore, I would submit that from the Lord's own mouth, Isaiah's servant is Joseph Smith. Now let's check ourselves again, though. Is Joseph Smith really this servant who will be marred? Well, if we go back to Joseph Smith's priest of blessing, it says, quote, No weapon formed against him shall prosper. And though the wicked mar him for a little season, he shall be like one rising up in the heat of wine. He shall roar in his strength, and the Lord shall put to flight his persecutors. So when you're studying scripture, there's a key principle or concept or um, study technique. It's called word links. And what will happen is if you're reading a passage, very, very often the Lord is not coming up with completely original text every time. So if you're studying the Doctrine and Covenants, so many times the Lord will start quoting Isaiah or quoting the Old Testament or the New Testament or even the Book of Mormon. And if you find the words that are similar with Isaiah, you can go read the word in Isaiah and the passage in Isaiah and link it with that passage you're reading in the Doctrine and Covenants, or in this case, Joseph Smith's Patriarchal Blessing. Joseph Smith's Patriarchal Blessing talks about him being marred. Well, that same word appears in Isaiah, so go look it up in Isaiah, link the two together, and the two comment on each other. Uh, the It's often been said that the best commentary on scripture is scripture, and that is so true. So don't forget that key of word links. Sometimes there can be a passage that seems so confusing, but when you link it with another scriptural passage uh, using those word links, um, it just makes everything just makes so much more sense. So here, if we connect the marred servant in Third Nephi with the marred servant in Isaiah, and then Joseph Smith's patriarchal blessing, we discover that all three of those passages are talking about the same person and they help give commentary to each other. But here, as we've been quoting some passages from Isaiah, you might, if you go to the Old Testament and you go to Isaiah, you might be reading those passages or, and then even read some of the headings and they'll identify the person or the theme of that chapter as talking about Jesus Christ. Or you read the context and you might think, well, this, isn't this talking about Jesus Christ? So this is really very important. In fact, so many of the passages in Isaiah, like, yes, they're about Jesus Christ, but then sometimes when you dig into them, it's Jesus Christ talking about his servant. And so sometimes it can be really confusing. This is how to understand those, those uh, dual passages and dual prophecy here with Isaiah. Without question, 
Jesus Christ is the solution in our day, period. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. He is the authority. But we have a problem. Jesus Christ came and he gave us a path. He gave us an example. But then as Lehi saw in his vision of the tree of life, these mists of darkness show up. And, and you think about a mist. What does a mist do? A mist obscures your ability to see a destination clearly, right? Um, you can still kind of see the destination. You can see whatever you're, you're looking at, but that mist just makes it hard to see the details, how to see it clearly. Well, that is what has happened in our day. You have Jesus Christ and you have his example and he is the one that we look to, but then we have all of this corruption, these myths in our day, these false philosophies or false ideas or corrupted doctrines, these obstacles that have been introduced by the adversary to confuse us and confuse our understanding. So we know Jesus Christ is the Savior. We know he's the way, but how do we know who he really is when we have these myths? Well, that is the mission of Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith had to come to show light. If you read about this in Isaiah 49, Light, the light of the servant comes to banish darkness. Why do we need darkness banished? Because we have these myths confusing and obscuring our understanding of who Jesus Christ is. That is why Joseph Smith came. We talk a lot about Joseph Smith coming to restore the gospel or he's the prophet of the dispensation. But his real mission was to reveal Jesus Christ to us, to help us understand this is who Jesus Christ really is. Everyone talks about Jesus this and Jesus that, but we don't really know who he is. Joseph Smith did. Joseph Smith talked face to face with Christ. He revealed his doctrine. He clarified the doctrine. And so that is why Joseph Smith is important. That is why the adversary is so determined in our day to take Joseph Smith out and to destroy his character because he's trying to attack Joseph Smith to get to Jesus Christ. So when you go into Isaiah and all of these passages, yes, they are about Jesus Christ, but everything about Joseph Smith's mission and his life is actually patterned to point us back to Jesus Christ. And that is why there are so many similarities between the two. Uh, Joseph Fielding McConkie shared this insight. He said, Isaiah 49, one of the suffering servant prophecies, is also descriptive of Joseph Smith and his role as the great prophet of the Latter-day Restoration. But it has traditionally been interpreted as a description of the life and ministry of Christ. It is a common thing for prophecies of the scriptures to have various levels of meaning and for them to be fulfilled again and again. All prophecies are fulfilled in Christ, yet many have a dual meaning, and such is apparently the case with the servants spoken of in Isaiah 49, end quote. Elder McConkie's words are so critical here, and it's very important for us to understand this about Joseph Smith's mission. And very often in prophecy, we can get confused. So many of us can be confused with the Lord and his servant. But you have to understand, again, Joseph Smith spoke for Jesus Christ. His words were the words of Jesus Christ. Um, so much of the doctrine and covenants, if you think about it, Joseph Smith's revelations is Jesus Christ in first person, but it is coming through Joseph Smith. If you study Joseph Smith's life, his entire life is a type 
of the greater light, Jesus Christ. And the purpose of that, of course, is to give us um, an example and a leader who can help us get back to Jesus Christ so we know who Jesus Christ even is. The book of Isaiah speaks volumes on the mission, the timing, the history, and the character of the servant. Isaiah's message especially concerns us because it is all in preparation for the second coming of the Son of God. All of the prophets looked down to this Latter-day Servants Day. Now granted, they did look forward with great anticipation to the coming and reign of Jesus Christ, but they also anticipated the dispensation of this prophet. The reason is because they understood that this prophet is the messenger of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the servant. He is the witness, the arm, the voice, the ensign, and the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He is the comforter, the deliverer, the guide, the healer, and the latter-day Moses of Zion. The entirety of the scriptures, each of the standard works, focuses on this message. And this is why the Joseph Smith Foundation uses the standard works as the key to understanding this mystery. At this point, we need to make it very clear that we are in no way teaching that Joseph Smith should be put in the same place of or placed in the same light as the Son of God. The prophet Joseph was simply the servant, the servant of the master, the Son of God. There is a very significant difference in status between the servant and his Lord. Elder Bruce McConkie clarified that the prophet Joseph Smith is the revealer of the Son as the Son is the revealer of the Father. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints does not worship Joseph Smith. In fact, the very mission of the servant is to turn the mind of the people back to the Son, back to the Father. In no way does the servant ever draw attention to himself. So we need to get back into our Isaiah chapters, but I want to mention just briefly that if you haven't already, you really need to read Joseph Smith's patriarchal blessing and some of the other blessings that were given to him. Uh, you can read them. They're freely available online. They're available through the Joseph Smith Foundation website. We will link to it in the description of this YouTube video. Uh, but from his blessings, you learned that Joseph Smith has been prophesied to do a mission far more expansive than what he did in his mortal life. Uh, this is sometimes a complaint by some people who say Joseph Smith cannot be the servant in Isaiah because they say the servant in Isaiah is doing so many things that Joseph Smith didn't do in his mortal life. Well, yes, absolutely. If you read Joseph Smith's patriarchal blessings, they are filled with missions and assignments for Joseph Smith to do that Joseph Smith was not able to do in his mortal life. And it's the same, honestly, for all of us. So many of us in our own patriarchal blessings or other blessings, they're not always fulfilled here and now. Uh, some of them have to do uh, during the millennium or in the next life. So in Joseph Smith's patriarchal blessing and other blessings, it talks about him commanding mountains to move and rivers turning out of their course. It talks about him putting wicked armies to flight or saving the just from famine. It talks about him translating additional ancient records or uh, possessing advanced scientific knowledge. 
It talks about him owning tens of thousands of animals and obtaining precious stones and jewels. It talks about him being like Moses and saving Israel, Latter-day Israel, from Latter-day Egypt. And it talks about him leading the lost tribes of Israel home from the north. Um, you can learn more about Joseph Smith's mission and these blessings in an ebook that we have on the Joseph Smith Foundation website titled Prophecies of Joseph Smith's Future Mission and Return, in case you're interested in learning more. So the Latter-day Servant, diving even deeper into that, it's another conversation for another time. Um, but one of the greatest hiccups that we are facing as a people in being confused with Isaiah or mistranslating or misinterpreting Isaiah is frankly the simple fact I'm going to submit that we haven't studied Joseph Smith. We haven't studied his teachings enough and we haven't studied his life. Um, We talk a lot about him, uh, but we don't too often get into his teachings. And when you do, you understand that Joseph Smith's teachings actually unlock Isaiah. If you understand Joseph Smith's teachings, Isaiah will be a piece of cake. Heading back into 1 Nephi 20 here, which is also Isaiah 48, um, the Lord continues. This is, again, talking to Israel. If you remember where we left off, um, Israel is being called out for being rebellious in the last days. These, And specifically, the Lord is talking to the covenant Latter-day Saints. And the Lord says, I'm sending the servant to open the way and to clarify the truth. And then he says, oh, that thou hadst hearkened to my commandments. Oh, why didn't you listen to me? He's saying, if you had, your peace would have been as a river. Your righteousness as the waves of the sea. You would have had this incredible posterity, these incredible uh, blessings in your children. um, And you wouldn't have so much hardship. This is really the same message. This this message in Isaiah is really the same message that the Lord gave the church in Doctrine and Covenants section 21. Uh, This section is essentially the charter. It was given on the day the church was organized. And the Lord commands the members of the church. He tells them, he says, give heed unto all Joseph Smith's words and commandments. And then he gives them a beautiful promise. He says, if you do this, if you study Joseph Smith, if you listen to his teachings, and not just some of his teachings or just the Doctrine and Covenants teachings, but all his words and commandments. It says, for by doing these things, the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. The Lord God will disperse the powers of darkness from before you and cause the heavens to shake for your good and his name's glory. We live in an age of incredible darkness. We live in an age where our marriages are falling apart. Our children are losing their testimonies. I scarcely can find a family or a ward where there isn't someone that will raise their hand and say, yes, I have a son or a daughter who is straying, or I know someone who is, or I have a friend or a sibling or a family, uh, some other family member. Um, We are living in an age of crisis. The world is falling apart. Our society is falling apart. Um, We're facing financial hardships. We're facing international conflict. Uh, We really live in a dark time. And yet the Lord has promised us In Doctrine and Covenants, in this section, he says, if you will give heed to Joseph Smith's words and commandments, the gates of hell will not prevail. He doesn't say, oh, they'll partly not prevail or I'll help you when they do prevail. He says they just won't. (laughs) Satan won't have power. 
uh, the powers of darkness will just disperse. You'll have the heavens shaking for your good. This is a promise, brothers and sisters, and God always keeps his promises. So for any one of us, if in our individual lives, if we feel like there is darkness in our lives, if we feel like the heavens are not shaking for our good or we're feeling hopeless, we need to turn back to this promise. And I can bear my testimony to you that if you will do this individually, if you'll do this in your family, if you'll do this as a community, these promises will happen and you will see miracles like you have never seen before in your life. So now here, finishing this chapter in Isaiah, Isaiah 48, the Lord reiterates again, why don't you listen? Listen to me. He says, go ye forth of Babylon, leave this bad culture, this Babylonian corrupt ideology, corrupt religion, corrupt ideas, corrupt standards. He says, the Lord hath redeemed his servant Jacob. The way is open. He says, they thirsted not. He's, he's going to start talking here using some imagery of Israel being led out of Egypt by Moses because that same story applies to us. He says, when I saved Israel from Egypt, they thirsted not. Uh, he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow out of the rock for them. Waters gushed out. He said, I've done all of this and I've done greater also. And yet there will be no peace, saith the Lord unto the wicked. The Lord is saying, he has given us the way. He's given us the solution, but it is our choice to accept it. If we do not accept it, there will be no peace. If we choose to remain with the, the wicked ideology and the wicked world that we've grown up in, the Lord cannot give us this peace. And I think this is the tragedy and the lamentation of Isaiah over and over. If you read the book of Isaiah, the tragedy of our life and the tragedy of our world is that all of the suffering that we see today is completely unnecessary. Pornography addictions, teen rebellion, the world wars, crime, antidepressants, all the financial suffering, hate, divorce, health problems. It's all unnecessary. God has a better way. He, he has laws and he has a system where there are no more tears, where there is perfect peace and harmony. And that is his pleading to Israel in the last days. He's saying, please listen to me. I can help you be delivered from all of this suffering. And that is how Isaiah 48 concludes. Now we're going to head to Isaiah 49, which Nephi quotes in 1 Nephi 21, uh, where he is going to give us some more advice for navigating the challenges in our day and helping us to overcome all of the obstacles and come back to the covenant of our forefathers. 